Well, let's do it. Come on. You've got questions. We've got answers. Phone lines are open. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Friday edition of The Line of Fire. You've got questions, we've got answers. My profound and great joy to be with you. One of the frustrations I have is that we only have an hour to answer your questions. So we're doing something exclusive today we've never done before. Same number as always to call 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Any question of any kind, as long as it's appropriate for Christian radio, and relevant to the broadcast, by all means, go for it. But here's what we're going to do. We've never done this before, so this is a first today. I am going to stick around on our live YouTube feed. So this will not be on radio. This will not be on Facebook. This will be on our live YouTube feed, which is going on right now at the Ask Dr. Brown channel, ASKDR Brown on YouTube. When we get to the end of the hour, I'm going to stay on, not sure how long yet, but for a good period of time. And the questions you post on YouTube, when we get to the end of this hour, I'll be interacting live with you via YouTube. So just wanted to make that special announcement. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go straight to the phones starting in Montana. Bruce, welcome to the line of fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, sir. All right. Um, so I've been following your videos and information on uh, uh, pre- versus post-trib rapture. And right. I've actually been a post-tribulationist for probably close to 20 years now. But the question I had, um, I've read from a couple of different uh, Bible teachers who are post-tribulationists uh, regarding Daniel's 70 weeks mm-hmm. and the idea that that um, this can be divided up into the, the first part, the 62 weeks, um, being a prophecy of Yeshua's first coming, and then the seven-week period, the first seven-week period, um, being a prophecy of his second coming, and then the additional 70th week having to do with, I guess, the uh, yeah, very yeah, Bruce, end of the, days. Yeah, no, somehow um, you're not repeating that correctly. The seven weeks come before the 62. The seven, first seven weeks right. have to do with the rebuilding of the temple. Okay. No, I understand what you're saying, but what I'm saying is, like, for example, aside from the Bible teachers, Sir Isaac Newton understood that the 62 weeks was a prophecy. No, 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 no. Bruce, Bruce, let me let me explain. Bruce, let me explain. Some argue that the 70th week is still future. No one argues that the first seven weeks are future. 
it, it's appeared to seven well, weeks. That's not true, 60, Dr. Brown. I Bruce, 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 hang on. You, you got it wrong. The first seven I'm weeks. I'm not saying I'm wrong. Okay, Bruce, I, I didn't hang up on you. I don't know what happened. But please, please listen carefully. The order is seven weeks, 62 weeks, one week. That's the chronological order. Yes, the, the 62 weeks has to do with the, the first coming of Yeshua. Yes, the seven weeks are before that. They are not a prophecy of a future coming. They are before that, all right? So either someone was teaching it in an utterly confused way or somebody heard it incorrectly. The question is, is the 70th week still future? My understanding is that the weeks are roughly consecutive. You may have a small gap in between them, but otherwise roughly consecutive, which means that when it speaks of the destruction of the temple, the city and the temple, that took place in the year 70. Therefore, the 70 weeks are all past, including the 70th week. You could argue, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't reject this, that just as Matthew 24 referred to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in the generation that followed him, there is a, an end time parallel. So could there be an end time parallel of the 70th week? Perhaps. But the 70 week prophecy was from the mandate to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, okay, until the destruction of the second temple. That's that 490 year period that is described. <coughs> Excuse me. If you feel you have a source that says that the first seven weeks are a prophecy of a second coming, even though they are before the the 62 weeks, please send that to us via our website. I'd be very interested in seeing it. All right. I've never once heard anyone argue for that ever. 866-348-7884. Let's go to Orlando, Florida. Steve, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. You are Um, very welcome. I had a question. Yeah. So I had a question. I thought it was a little bit um, conspiracy theory ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more about the uh, making of the King James Bible, and yep. it's my understanding that it was the scholars that got together, they made it. Um, some people will say that it was handed over to Sir Francis Bacon. Are you familiar with who that is? Yeah, I mean, not in detail, a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, I know some people say that it was handed over to him, and then he handed it over to King James. Um, and But there's a lot of people who say that he was a Freemason. Now, um, I know that he couldn't change any of the text because we have, you know, we have the Tyndale and everything before that. But um, if you look throughout the King James, like the imagery and the pictures and the introduction, um, there's, there's, it seems like there's a lot of like Freemason imagery and symbolism, um, pictures and stuff like that. So I was wondering what you, what you thought about that with the, with the 1611, the original one. Never, to be, to be perfectly honest, Steve, never once thought about it uh, for a split second. The translators did the translating. They wrote the preface to it. They were meticulous and did their very best to, to honor God and be faithful to the, the Hebrew and Greek text that they had. And that's what we have in the 1611 edition is their work. Whether it was published in different forms with different imagery by different people, I have no idea and really no concern. In, in, in other words, let's say, uh, okay, I, I did a translation of the book of Job and it's coming out God willing in October with my Job commentary, right? So that's, that's real. I I did that. And let's just say that it gets translated into another 
language and they, they add this beautiful ornamentation to it in another country. That's got nothing to do with what I did in my translation. So however it was published, what forms it was published in, what imagery is there, whether it was all Freemasons, whether it was Martians, whether it was just art of the day is of honestly zero concern to me. And I, I would genuinely say the last thing you need to be thinking about because the translators did the work and that's the issue. The quality of their work, the quality of the text, how to evaluate that today, etc. Changes in the English language, better understanding we have of Hebrew, Greek, better manuscripts, etc. Uh, but certainly no one could make a coherent argument that the text was influenced by Freemasons and therefore should be looked at with suspicion. That honestly is not worth your time, sir. That's my response. Okay, thank you very much. You are very welcome. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. And we go straight over to Mitchell in Michigan. Welcome to the line of fire. Happy Friday, Dr. Brown. Glad to be Thank on. Thank you, sir. Got two quick questions. I'll take my answers off the air. The first question is referring to Second John 9, 10, and 11. I recently heard a teacher, a very big-name teacher, and he said um, very clearly that you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. If that's not biblical, is that heretical? And is partnering with that person um, along the lines of Second John 9, 10, 11? And my second question is, is the canon closed, and is there a specific scripture that says the canon is closed? And if it's not, a, if there's not a specific scripture, then can, um, then isn't it just operating in the gifts of the Spirit to write something inspired by God? Thank you. All right. Appreciate the questions. Okay. So the first thing is Second John 2, if anyone comes to you and they're preaching another gospel, another doctrine, don't invite them in, don't support them, anything like that. So what if someone says you can take the mark of the beast and be saved during the time of tribulation? Um, I often see people attacking Pastor John MacArthur over that. He's a heretic. He believes you can take the mark of the beast and be saved. I've never looked into it. Uh, my last concern is to try to track down statements he may have made that I, I differ with. I, I appreciate much of what he does, and I have my differences elsewhere. Did he actually say that? Apparently, I see it all the time. But anyway, never checked into it. If you asked me, could someone, take the mark of the beast, say it's a literal thing and a literal tribulation with a little antichrist, take the mark of the beast and be saved to me only if they repent, just like Peter denied Jesus and then repented. So if someone did it and then repented and asked God to have mercy and forgive them, is it the unpardonable sin? Scripture doesn't say it's the unpardonable sin. It would be like submitting to a world system, you know, or selling your soul for communism or the system of the world or something, and then realize I've betrayed God, forgive me, cleanse me. There may be severe consequences. You may lose your life instantly uh, because of that. But could you repent of it? Well, why, why couldn't you repent and, and still be saved? Like I said, you might be killed instantly if you did repent. But in any case, could you do it without repentance and be saved? Ah, how, how could you? You'd be submitting to another Lord, another master and denying Jesus. So, Let's say somebody teaches that. Would you partner with them? If the rest of their gospel message is an orthodox gospel, and this is something they happen to say in passing, and they agree not to be emphasizing it or talking about it, that would not be my issue. If this was their big thing, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. You can take on any sin. You can even take on the mark of the beast, and you're still saved. 
I, I would not excommunicate the person, but I wouldn't be partnering with them for sure. I, I w- I, it's not that I wouldn't let them in my house, but I wouldn't be partnering together with them. As far as the canon being closed, where did we get the idea of canon from? In other words, is this something that the scripture explicitly says there is a canon of scripture? Or is this something that the followers of Moses and the prophets and the Messiah recognized that God had communicated in a certain way, that it was scripture, and that at a certain point he ceased communicating in that way? This is something that we recognize that, that God did by his choice because there had to be apostles, prophets, people directly connected with various things before, after Moses, etc. And, and the way we have the book of Revelation as the last book of the New Testament with a closing word, don't add, don't take away, that's telling me it's a final and decisive word. And that's why, at a certain point, both in Judaism and Christianity, no one ever thought more scripture is being written. If you operate in the gifts of the Spirit today, that's not writing Scripture. That's not the Word of God. All right, we'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, hey let me uh, make a quick comment. Jew hatred is alive and well, as I have called out some of the anti-Semitic comments of comedian Owen Benjamin and Christian TV host Rick Wiles, the flood of ugly, filthy, vile, Jew-hating comments flooding in from people saying, what are you talking, they're not saying anything wrong, it's not anti-Semitic because Jews are evil. It's, it's really quite remarkable. And when I say, look, I am not a Talmudic Jew. I did not submit to Talmudic authority. I'm in a constant spiritual battle with traditional Jews over Jesus being the Messiah. I have a whole volume where I take issue with Talmudic literature, but when it's misrepresented as supporting pedophilia and other things, I'll set the record straight. I, I get blasted. By the way, I don't care about being blasted. I'm just saying the ugliness of, of what's out there. Where is this, uh, this guy? Uh, I, I just saw these comments here. You know, I, I am, wait, wait, here, here I go. Um, uh, you're, you've exposed yourself as a Talmudic Kabbalistic Zionist son of Satan, poor idiot. You are one lost Talmudic Zionist fool. This is the ugliness and the junk and the garbage that's out there. And the moment we expose it, man, it's, it's like roaches crawling out of a closet or something like that. Uh, am I likening these people to roaches? No, I'm likening the ugly things they say to roaches coming out of a closet. Yes. Garbage. I'm talking about garbage. You can criticize Jews and not be an anti-Semite. Look, I criticize our people for rejecting Jesus as Messiah to this day. You can criticize Israel and and not be an anti-Semite. In fact, the strongest criticism of Israel comes from Israelis within Israel. That's not an issue. But there is something that is genuinely anti-Semitic. Jew hatred, demonizing the Jews as a people, mischaracterizing them and maligning them. And the moment you expose it, boy, Jew haters come out of the closet. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Daniel in California. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. How you doing? Doing well. Thank you. Good, good. So I had a question. Um, my girlfriend's family, they're all Catholic. And um, they pray the rosary. We actually just went over last night. 
Um, I'm obviously I'm a torchbearer of yours, so I'm not I'm not Catholic. I don't follow anything that they do. But um, so at the end of their prayer, um, they get everybody gets down on their knees and they pray for Mary to basically pray for them. Um, and I'm teaching my girlfriend basically what you teach me and what I learn. So mm-hmm. I wanted to know how I could go about go about the whole issue of it because I know that it is an issue, but I don't really know how yeah. to how to go about it. Daniel, what's kind of remarkable? I'm I'm looking at my my screen here with all of the callers on hold, and the next caller, the one that's been on hold the longest after you, uh, actually has a question about praying to Mary, which is which is very interesting because obviously we don't get asked this all the time. What I would right. do is is I would ask her. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust his words? Do you think that, that he's given us sufficient guidance? And I'm sure she would say yes. Say, can, can we look in the Bible and see who he, <coughs> excuse me, who he told us to pray to and how he taught us to pray? And, of course, it would be to the, to the Father in his name, and, and, or directly we can ask him, but otherwise to the Father. And, and then right. say, let, let's, let's go through the rest of the New Testament and let's see how they prayed. And you say, why is it that they never prayed to Mary? She, you know, why, why was that not an, an issue? Why didn't Jesus give us a directive to do it? And then say, let's ask this. Can we show anywhere in the entire Bible, because you had holy men and women in the past who died, <laughs> and Catholics will pray to other saints, as well. Can you show right. me anywhere where anyone prayed to anyone other than God? And of course, the answer is no. It says, don't you think it's best that we do what Jesus said? Don't you think it's best? And then take her to John chapter two, okay? And say, look, okay. Mary, Mary herself says, this is the wedding of Cana. Whatever he tells you, do it. So, you know, it's a, it's a good appeal to a Catholic to say, look, Mary says, whatever Jesus says, do it. And he tells us to pray to the Father, and, and we're only to pray to God in the Bible. Then you can also show when they tried to give Mary too much attention that, that he downplayed it and said, you know, when they said, blessed is the womb from which you're born and the, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, the breast which is. I love you, I was just about to ask you about that. <laughs> Yeah, so he responds saying, rather blessed is whoever does the will of my father. And when people say your mother and brothers and sisters are outside, he said, whoever does the will of my father is my mother, brother, and sister. So that he constantly made sure that with all respect to his mother, she was not venerated in a special way. Right. Perfect. And that's, okay. And, all right. Great. So, sounds good, Daniel. And may the Lord be with you. And thank you so much, sir, for your monthly financial support. We really do appreciate it. When he said he's a torchbearer, everything we do is fire, 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 line of fire, fire, school of ministry. God is a consuming fire, holy fire, etc. And those who stand with us on a monthly basis, at least a dollar a day per month, so $30 or more per month, we pour into them many different ways. A new audio message every month, uh, free access to online classes that we have, 15% discount on our online bookstore, exclusive content that they can watch on our website. So we pour back into our torchbearers in many ways as they support and help us, why not become a torchbearer? You'll be, trust me, you will be super blessed. You'll be blessed. But the greatest blessing is all the reward we get, you share in. That's the greatest blessing. 
866-348-7884. Diego in Washington, thank you, sir, for calling the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Um, New listener, uh, first-time caller. Thank you, sir. Um, Yeah, so a bit of a background that feeds into my questions. Um, Every year I spend a lot of time in Poland, so I've fostered many friendships with the Polish people. Um, yeah. Poland is highly Catholic, probably around uh, 97% consider themselves Catholic. Yes, sir. So when the average Pole thinks of Christianity, they automatically think of the religious system. So yeah. my first question is, is the fact that many of them pray to Mary and other saints disqualify them from eternity with God? Is this a violation of the first two commandments? And uh, my second question is this. Is the sinner's prayer, as we evangelicals know it, necessary for salvation? I've mm-hmm. met many in Poland who aren't familiar with this concept, but they acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. They read their Bible. They engage in prayer and live out their lives with the fear of the Lord, more so than many of your nominal evangelical Christians in America. And so right. these are my questions. I Thank you, Dr. Brown. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, sir, for, for asking and for listening. Okay, number one. God is the judge of an individual Catholic, right? Just as he's the judge of an individual Protestant, Baptist, whoever. Every individual professing faith in Jesus, God is the judge, and God is the one who knows their eternal state. I have spoken to Catholics who say, no, no, only God is God. We only worship Jesus as Lord. We don't worship Mary in the same way. We respect her and honor her, and we're asking her to intercede with Jesus on our behalf, just as someone would do on the earth, we're asking them to do it there. So I find that utterly and completely unscriptural, but in and of itself, not damning. If someone worshiped Mary in the way that Jesus was worshiped, if it, if it was really Mariolatry, if it was, for example, what one of my colleagues years ago took a picture of in Guatemala, and an Easter parade where they had a coffin with Jesus in it, someone supposed to be Jesus, and then a woman on the throne, and the, 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 the caption said, Mary, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I, mean, I saw it with my own eyes. My friend was there, saw the parade, and took it. That's crass idolatry. That is damnable idolatry. But if someone says, no, only Jesus is Lord, only Jesus died for my sins, I'm only saved with his grace, and they don't, they don't think they have to work for their own salvation. They think works are important, but not for their salvation. And, and, you know, maybe they don't fully understand the theology of the mass, which in many ways is Christ denying in terms of the efficacy of his sacrifice. Could that person be saved? God's the judge, but I don't see why not. In other words, praying to Mary, saying, I'm just asking her to go to God on my behalf. Well, that's not recognizing the place that we have as sons and daughters. That's not recognizing the direct access that we have. But is that damnable? I don't know how you could say it's damnable. It's serious error. It could lead to damnable error. But in itself, I don't, I don't see that as damnable. Again, let God be the judge. As far as a sinner's prayer, sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. Sinner's prayer, the, the parallels, similar concepts, you know, God have mercy on me, a sinner, the Pharisee and the publican, the publican praying like that, the tax collector in Luke 18, there are certainly parallels, but this is something that evangelicals have developed that, that wouldn't have even been known, say, in, in the days of, of evangelical leaders 100 or 200 years ago. It's more of a, a modern innovation. 
So can you be saved without praying the sinner's prayer? Of course. You could, you could be raised in the faith as a child and say, you know, I've always believed in Jesus, always believed he died for my sins, rose from the dead. I always wanted to follow him. I, I can't honestly remember a time when I didn't believe that. Or you could be in the depth of, of depression and, and knowing your life is a wreck and you're at home and say, God, save my life. Save, you know, save me. I live for you. I believe Jesus, you died for me. Help me. Have mercy on me. And you don't pray your formal prayer. And God has mercy on you and saves you. So the sinner's prayer is something that's been used to help give a, a template, to help give a, a pattern, a guideline to say, hey, have someone acknowledge their sin before God, confess Jesus as Lord. That is scripture, right? Confessing him as Lord with our mouths, believing he died, rose from the dead. So it is saying, hey, here's a, here's a little pattern to follow. Confess your sin to God. Recognize Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. Commit your life to him as Lord. And if you do that truly from the heart, you're saved. But just saying the words itself, there's no magical formula to it. And certainly plenty of people are saved without praying it. And others have prayed it who are not saved. Thank you. God of light, hear our cry. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, a couple of exciting announcements. Uh, I'm scheduled to have a dialogue with Mark Hitchcock, who has written about why we can still believe in the rapture. Uh, He teaches at Dallas Theological Seminary, I believe, and is a respected author. And he strongly differs with me about pre-trib, post-trib. So he's pre-trib, I'm post-trib. And I believe he's going to be doing some videos where he responds to arguments that Professor Craig Keener and I have done. Hey, Mark, if you're listening right now, I I saw a note you sent to my assistant that that you listen at this time uh, as you're in your car. So if you're listening, sir, really looking forward to it. So we are brothers in the Lord, but we have differences here. So uh, that should be a really interesting conversation and one where I expect uh, very, very profound differences. Um, scheduled to do an interview, don't know exactly when we'll be posting it and airing it, with E. Michael Jones, a Catholic scholar, whose writings I believe are anti-Semitic, and he will argue why they are distruthful and not anti-Semitic. He's certainly a scholar. We certainly have our differences. I'm so pleased that he's agreed to have a dialogue with me. So we're going to have some real serious differences I believe he's one that's influenced Owen Benjamin's thinking as well as comedian Owen Benjamin. So those are things to come, some on radio, some that will be posted in other settings. So we'll be giving you all the information about that in the days ahead. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Raphael in Boston. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. I'm not sure if you'll remember, but I'm actually Scott Gunderson's son. Yeah, of um, course. Here? Absolutely, man. Yes, yes. How how you doing? How's yeah, how's, yeah. How, how's Simone doing? She's good. She's good. I'm definitely going to, I told her to tune in, so I hope she's listening right now. But, All right. And how, um, how about your dad? How's Scott? How's yeah. he doing? He's yeah, doing great. Well, yeah, we've been, uh, we've been loving it over here. And, um, and I just, you know, I've, I've had a lot of different discussions with, um, with some people about baptism, and I was really looking into your uh, your YouTube video, and you know, just trying to get as much as I could from that. But I really wanted to ask, um, 
you know, like Acts 2.38 is kind of the, you know, the verse that everyone seems to go back to saying, you know, repent and be baptized and you'll be saved. And, you know, it mentions that that we also can be saved in other verses, you know, just through faith or just through repentance or just through believing in God mm-hmm. or in Jesus. And and so how do we discern, you know, what what actually saves us? You know, do we need to take everything like a like a package deal? You know, or, you know, another point you brought up is that, um, you know, baptism is required and necessary, you know, but if it's in that important, you know, then why is it not the point of salvation? And, right. you know, and what is the point of salvation? Yeah, so so the question is what actually saves us, right? So what saves us is what yeah. Jesus did on the cross, right? And us putting our faith in him to save us and forgive us and give us new life. In other words, it's not just forgive me so I can go on sinning. It's save me from my sins. I'm, I'm putting my trust in Jesus to save me from my sins. What was the purpose of baptism? Remember, this was not a new thing that the followers of Jesus instituted. When we do our tours to, to Israel, and the tour guide will point out all these baptismal pools that you have all around the old city of, of Jerusalem because ritual immersion was commonly practiced. So this was an outward rite of repentance. The, the immersion itself didn't actually cleanse you of sin. The immersion was the outward sign of repentance, and in this case, are, are dying with Jesus and being raised with him. But immersion didn't save you, didn't forgive you. Immersion was the outward rite that symbolized the cleansing, the outward rite that stood for that. So in the Jewish world, it would be a commonplace now, if repentance is being preached and you're truly repenting, to follow it up with immersion. In other words, this was not a, a new thing that was being introduced. And then it was preached in the wider world. Then it was, it was taught to Gentiles as well. But when, when Paul, for example, all of the times he speaks about salvation, every single reference to it, it's being saved by faith, saved by grace, saved by what Jesus did on the cross. So, for example, in Romans, the 10th chapter, when he's dealing with this in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, where he famously says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord, right, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Immersion now would be the thing you do to follow that up. That's why Peter preaches repent and be baptized. So repent, that's how you get saved. That's how you get right with God. Now you be baptized because that's what you do. That is the outward ritual sign that God requires. So we downplay it's important today. It's importance, Raphael. It is, it is something that uh, is kind of secondary or, yeah, down the line, a few months from now, you should probably think of doing it. We need to, to reinstitute where when someone truly gets saved, we, we go baptize them. We said, all right, now that you've done this, we, we, we need to, to make a public confession and, 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 and do this. So, uh, yes, baptism can symbolize washing away our sins. Baptism can symbolize the, the cleansing of the conscience, the dying with Messiah rising from the dead. And, and in, in the early church, the earliest church, you would not have found someone that was a true believer. And, oh, I'm supposed to get baptized? I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? This was clearly taught and done. Over a period of time, though, what happened was the church leaders felt it was important to really make sure the person understood what it meant to be saved, to really understand the context of water baptism and and salvation, and therefore they would have a period of teaching and make sure the person was rightly instructed and then go ahead and do it. 
but the idea that baptism itself saves you in anything other than a typological way, I don't believe is scriptural. You know, people get all upset with me when I reference the thief on the cross and, you know, oh, you could say that was before Acts and so on. But would anyone imagine, just to think of the scenario, right? Would anyone imagine you're driving in your car together, right? You, you are sharing the gospel with someone. And, and they, they break down, they're weeping. I want to be saved. What do I do? Right, let's pray right now. Cry out to God to have mercy on you. And they do. And the moment they finish praying, a, a, a car comes slamming in, hits their car, and kills that person. Right? Hits their side and kills that person. Is anyone going to say, oh, they weren't saved because they didn't have a chance to get back? Would anyone even imagine that? So that's what it would come down to do. If, if, if it is required for salvation as opposed to required for obedience. That's what it would come down to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so that all makes, you know, complete sense. And I think the only, the only thing I'm struggling with now is just when, when Jesus says that, you know, the message will be preached, um, you know, to, to the Jews at the, at the ceremony with, um, you know, with, with uh, in Acts 2. And um, and so that's the first time you know the message is given to all those Jews that come to the festival. And you know, is is there anything about the reason why he says repent? That, that, you know, that, that's the first time he gives that message. Yeah, yeah, because absolutely Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm just having a little hard time hearing hearing you right now, but I, I do believe I heard what you said. Okay, the the first thing is that if you, if you want to look at the first reference to this, what it's mentioned in the preaching of repentance beginning in Jerusalem, it's, a, it's in Acts, the 24th chapter, right? Where it mentions repentance and preaching in Jerusalem. And here's what Jesus says, Luke 24, all right? Thus it is written that the Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, Luke 24, 47. It doesn't say repentance and baptism but repentance and forgiveness of sins. Baptism is mentioned in Matthew 28 in the longer ending of Mark 16. It is absolutely important. And as I said, would be part of the culture of the day, but that's the thing, Raphael, that would have been totally normal. In other words, of course you get, of course you get immersed. Of course, if you're repenting and asking God for forgiveness, of course you get immersed. That's what you do. When you're asking God, give me a new life, a fresh start, forgive me, cleanse me. That's what you do. So there was no surprise there, but uh, what, what are we going to make of, of, Acts, the 16th chapter, right? Acts chapter 16, the famous question when the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And what's the answer? Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Doesn't mention repent, all right? Does, does that mean we build a whole doctrine because this just says believe? Now they're baptized after again, that would be the normal, natural thing to do in response. But in short, it is not required for salvation. It is required for obedience. It's very important and should be something that we do. The moment someone clearly has called out to the Lord to save them, the next thing is, all right, we should get you baptized. Now, if your church teaches it differently and says you need to go through this class to be sure, well, then do it immediately. Do it immediately. Hey, uh, just for everyone listening before I hang up with Raphael, uh, Raphael's mom and dad, Scott and Louise, came as students of mine in the mid-1980s to Christ for the Nations Institute of Long Island, then were 
part of our congregation and school in Maryland, then served on the mission field in Italy for years, and then in Spain. And uh, wonderful family, Louise, was, was just an absolute joy, was taken from us some years ago. So, so uh, Raphael, uh, I'm, I'm sure you, you miss her immensely to this day, but you got a great dad, great sister, and other family as well. So love you, man. Good hearing from you. Tell your, tell your dad to stay in touch. And Simone, hope you're listening. God bless and thanks for the call, Raphael. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Jesse in Arizona. You're on the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Um, so I just wanted to ask a question about uh, Jewish practices. and yeah. if They were God's ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, be- I believe a scholar from the Rabbi Zacharias Institute once had mentioned that Jesus could have only fulfilled God's redemptive plan to save humanity through the Jews because other cultures like Hindus wouldn't have understood Christ's message and his uh, message on sin and atonement. From, from this explanation, and seeing how Jewish culture and customs had evolved from the time of Abraham, where polygamy was conceded, and the time of Moses, where divorce was conceded, um, and... And when you, when, I mean, I guess when, when compared to Christ's ideals, uh, like the ancient Middle Eastern patriarchal customs that had chauvinistic elements, they seem to change drastically where everyone is equal. And thinking about that, um, these changes that happen in Jewish culture, um, and I guess God conceding to, and conceding certain things where they would only, only in their culture, they would understand certain um, aspects and God's message would be more effectively communicated through them. And I guess God would change that culture. Um, is this yeah, Jesse, Jesse I, yeah, I can, I can, I can answer you uh, very easily there. Thank you for the question. The issue is not that Jewish practices in Jesus' day were perfect. The issue is that he needed to be born into a world where there's a recognition of one true God, the meaning of sin, atonement, redemption, and where he could live in a state of purity. And that could only happen in that context. I'll explain further. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, 4.05, so Eastern time, that's 17 minutes from now. We will be doing a live YouTube chat. So this is exclusive on YouTube, the first live YouTube chat I've ever done, answering your questions on YouTube. All right, so if you're posting them now on YouTube, I won't be seeing them for a few minutes. But this will be a separate stream. We're going to start at 4.05. Go to our YouTube channel. It's Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K-D-R Brown on YouTube starting at 4.05. So if we don't get to your questions or if you can't get through calling, we're going to field questions there for a while. So, Jesse, to explain, if Jesus died for our sins rose from the dead in a Hindu culture, there'd be no concept of who he was, what he was doing. It'd just be another divine incarnation. There'd be no real understanding of sin, of atonement, of the one true God. He would have just been hailed as another incarnation or another great deity, etc. So there needed to be a people that understood there was only one God, that understood his standards of holiness, that understood the sacrificial system of life for life and the power of the shedding of blood. 
an environment also where he could be raised free of idolatrous pollutions. So that was the main reason that God singled out the Jewish people so they could be a people through whom the Messiah came. And then after he died and rose, there would be a people who could now take that message with understanding to the rest of the world. So he had the Hebrew scriptures prepared and then the Jewish apostles to take the message. That, I believe, is what Ravi Zacharias was conveying, not that everything was perfect. Anything that comes through human beings ultimately is going to be tainted. God's word can come perfectly through us. But once we start messing with it, or add our customs or traditions, it's not going to be perfect any longer. That's what I believe he's saying. And I've taught the same thing for many years as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's, all right, Robert in Kansas City, he's not there anymore, uh, wanted to ask me about the American gospel movie. I only watched parts of it. But what I watched struck me as mixing a valid critique of a carnal prosperity message, a valid critique of a superficial cross bypassing message, a valid critique of flaky extremes in the charismatic movement with an invalid rejection of much that the Holy Spirit is doing today. Now, this is based on only seeing part of the movie, but as I viewed it and saw some of the people involved, that was my impression. That might change watching the whole. But I've commonly seen this, that, that there will be critics of the charismatic movement that will throw out millions of healthy babies and buckets of wonderful miracles and oceans of moving of the Holy Spirit because of real pollution and real issues and real problems. So I want to embrace everything the Spirit is doing Today, I want to rejoice in the massive harvest of souls the Holy Spirit is bringing about. I, I want to be as broad as I can in terms of recognizing genuine brothers and sisters while absolutely opposing error. I've written against, opposed the carnal prosperity message for years. When I was Skyping over to, to do meetings in Nigeria two weekends ago and my visa didn't come through, so we had to do the meetings by Skype. The last meeting, I just answered questions. And they talked about how the hyper-grace message is destroying churches there, how the hyper-prosperity message, we knew that, is destroying churches there, that there are, there are charismatic, bizarre extremes that are destructive. So I speak out against them. My book, Playing with Holy Fire, is the most recent time that in a book-length way I've spoken out against these things. At the same time, I embrace and rejoice, embrace what the Spirit's doing and rejoice in what He's doing around the world in a mighty outpouring of the spirit. But again, I've only seen part of the movie watching more. I might have a different viewpoint. In other words, I might agree with it even more. Eight, six or differ with parts even more. Eight, six, six, three, four truth. Let's go to Tanner in Virginia. Hey, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much for taking my call. You're um, welcome, sir. So, <laughs> so I am, uh, just graduated from college, recently married, and um, I became a Christian uh, the first semester of college. I grew up in a, a pastor's, um, you know, my dad was a pastor, and I kind of, as soon as I became a Christian, I started asking questions, you know, I had to start from square square one, Right. what do I believe? Um, and, you know, we're called to test all things, and my question for you is really, is this... Um, 
in this search for doctrine and theology, um, testing all things, is how do we um, draw boundaries um, and how do we separate ourselves from worldly influencers while still taking the good? Because God creates um, all things that are good and true. You know, uh, Michael Jackson's song, The Man in the Mirror, talking about starting with yourself, but that's not a Christian song. Um, uh, a thing that made me want to call in is the whole debacle with Owen Benjamin. Um, now, I started with politics. <laughs> ben, ben Shapiro uh, destroys videos. You know, it's like, why is conservative? Why are conservative values better than liberal leftist values? Right. Um, and as a husband, I have this huge burden to just seek truth. A lot of a lot of people my age don't. Um, really care, frankly. And I'm just in this position of caring so much uh, in the search and trying to find truth. Um, I started with politics, right. got into conspiracy yeah, so, theories. Like, is the world even real? Like, how do you... Right, right. Um, so, Tanner, let me, let, me, yeah, let, me, let me encourage you in terms of, of how you move forward and how you can separate yourself from wrong-worldly influences while taking in the good. I would start with a radical pruning. I would start with a cutting back of everything initially outside of being with God, reading the word and taking in godly material. Now here's my reason. I want to clear my head of a lot of, of competing influences, a lot of worldly influences, a lot of things that are really a mixture. Okay. And I want to sensitize myself to God's spirit and God's truth and things that are important. All right. So that's, that's where I want to start. So I'm going to spend extra time in the Word, extra time in prayer, extra time meditating on Scripture, extra time worshiping the Lord, extra time being edified by godly Christian music, teaching, etc. Then from there, I, I will see, okay, what, what helps me in my walk with God and helps me be intelligent, thoughtful, clear-headed, in terms of interacting with the world around me without dragging me down. Now, because not everything is black and white, you might say, you know, I really enjoy this one guy, but then he's so profane. I, I just don't like hearing the profanity all the time. So you, you say, okay, I like what he has to say, but it just, it, it's like bothers me hearing that all the time. Okay. You make that decision or, you know, I find this documentary series excellent, but they keep constantly pushing this evolutionary mentality and, and there's an anti-Christian sub I'm, I'm just not going to bother with it. And other things you're like, eh, that's a side thing I throw away, but I learn a lot or I enjoy this. But we, <coughs> excuse me. We also want to do though is radically take up the cross and say no to the flesh and no to the world. So when I got saved, all my rock music and all that, that was directly associated with my old way of life with drugs and rebellion. So I burned my albums. I destroyed them. For me, it was important to, to, to put them away and, and to break free because that was part of my sinful life. Now, years later, I might say, you know, this music is interesting or enjoyable, but uh, I'm not going to touch it. Or this is perfectly fine. You know, it's classical music or, or this, you know, I enjoy the instrumentality, whatever. That has to be worked out. But I, I believe the right way to do it is to separate ourselves, get with the Lord sensitize ourselves and then as as one brother suggested that he came out of a sinful background similar to mine 
He told his pastor, okay, I got rid of the drugs, the drinking, the ungodly living. Now what's right, what's wrong? So the pastor said, just keep walking with the Lord, but ask the Lord before you do something, is this light or is this darkness? Is this light or is this darkness? And he said, it cut back on a whole lot of stuff he was doing, but then it also made him very free from a lot of other pollution. That is just what I would suggest in terms of things that are helpful, things that are useful. Radical pruning first, be with the Lord, be with the Lord, develop sensitivity, and then you can better discern what's right and what's not helpful. All right. Uh, yeah, real quick, Jacob in Waco, Texas, time is real short, so dive right in. Yes, sir. This is Jacob, and um, I'm a youth pastor, and yeah, I deal with a lot of the issues that are, you know, that you deal with on your debates and stuff. I really enjoy it, but I was looking for some... Uh, resources that I could get into to, to study out things further, you know, on, you know, homosexuality, drinking, and other other hot-button issues that, that are always there, like authenticity of the Word and stuff, if I don't know Hebrew and Greek. Right, right, right. All right, so especially if you're trying to deal with the young generation, can I just recommend that on some of the hot-button issues today, there's some really helpful books by Alex McFarland, Alex McFarland, M-A-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D, and Sean McDowell that are really helpful, that are also sensitive to youth and issues that they would raise. But Jacob, any specific questions you have about subjects where you're looking to study more, just shoot a note to us through our website, sdrbrown.org. You'll see right where it says contact. We have a team that's very happy to help you. If you're, if you're looking on a specific area, what would be a helpful thing to study? We'd be more than glad to help. Hey, friends, five minutes from now, I will be over on YouTube, all right, doing our first ever live YouTube chat, taking your written questions there at Ask Dr. Brown on YouTube.